Just push record and we are off and running. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I managed to lose my other recorder. I was going to try and record some of the classes on this trip and uh, managed to lose my recorder in, uh, on the plane. <laughs> so, yeah, that was fun. Okay, well, as a, as a lead-in to kind of what we're talking about today, uh, I, I, I thought I would uh, give you one uh, little vignette that, that happened on our, for uh, those that we took to, uh, to uh, Rome um, that would actually feed right into our lesson. Um, first time, we, uh, we, we got everybody to the uh, Rome temple. Uh, it's been a week and a half ago. And, and as it turned out, we had 73 people. I had 52 endowment cards. <laughs> So only 52 could get into the session. We had about 73 people, um, and the, which was a, a bit stressful about who's going to get in and who's not. Uh, but as it turns out, a number had come to do ceilings and a number of other things, and it just turned out not to be an issue. And so the vast majority were able to go into the Rome Temple and do ceilings, and the rest of it, or do endowments, and the rest of us did ceilings and, and stuff like that. Great experience, okay? Um, here was the fly in the ointment. This came later in the week. Our bus drivers are only allowed to drive so many hours in Italy per week. This was the end of the week. They had started at 7 a.m. Uh, on our day to get us to the Vatican and then out to this temple out on the outskirts of town. So when I rolled out uh, of the temple, we had a 4.30 session. When I came out about... 5.30, quarter to 6, the, uh, my guide says the bus drivers need to leave, like, right away. <laughs> I says, well, they're about halfway through their deal in, in the temple. They can't leave right away. Uh, so I actually kind of did a big song and dance for almost an hour, installing them <laughs> from leaving. Uh, but after about an hour... I songed and danced all that I could, and I had about half the people out of the temple. And she says, they have to go. Or if they go too many hours in a week, they lose their licenses, and they have to go. And I said, then go. Yeah, I guess you're going to have to leave. So, so us and our hearty band of about 25 or 30 watched the buses drive off because we were still waiting for people to come out of the temple, and then we were stranded at the Rome Temple, <laughs> which was a great experience. Uh, at which point I started calling taxis, could not get taxis. I called our bus company, who didn't, wasn't sure she could find anybody for us, and then after about a half hour of frantic calling, she calls me back, she says, yes, I found a bus driver and a bus. He'll be here in about an hour. And I said, fabulous, we will, we will take that. But the, the beautiful thing was for those that were stranded at the temple, their response was, we're stranded at the temple. <laughs> we're, we're stranded at the Rome temple. Really? Okay. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> and, and so because we because we uh, were able to wait, we were able to get a couple of pictures. Uh, 
um, things that we wouldn't have gotten had we left on time. Okay? And, and over the week, people that I asked, I said, what's been your favorite moment of the trip? And they said, we love being left at the temple. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that was helpful for you. It was incredibly stressful to me. Because <laughs> in 10 years, I've never had to watch the buses drive away and try and come up with alternatives along the way. But it ended up being a, a fabulous experience. But uh, out of that spurred uh, a question that I had, especially as we're going to, especially as we start taking a look at the things that we're talking about today. Let me start with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Again, this usually follows my pattern. If, if I have something I want to work on, I'll go check with C.S. Lewis, and he's usually got the best quote for this. I do not know why there's a difference, but I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that there's a good, it's good for him to wait. When you do enter your room, you will find that the long wait has done some kind of good which you would not have had otherwise. But you must regard it as waiting, not camping. You must keep praying for light. And of course, even in the hall, you must be trying to obey the rules which are common in the whole house. Above all, you must be asking which door is the true one and not which one pleases you best by its paint and paneling. What makes waiting so hard? If we have to wait for things, what makes waiting so tough on us? Because we hate to wait. What is there about waiting? Wasteful of our time. We, have, we think about our time. I could be doing something else rather than waiting. Okay. What else? What makes waiting so hard? In our culture, we think that uh, we deserve, we don't deserve to wait. And there are some cultures where people, you know, you hear about something in Australia and these kind of, some of these other abrics, different, different cultures that waiting is just, they don't have a problem with it. Sure. We do. We don't think we are, we're entitled and we're not supposed to have to wait for things. We want service now. We, we, we live in a kind of an instant gratification society and we shouldn't have to wait. Yeah. So is it the anticipation of what might happen when you quit waiting? So it's not knowing what will happen when it finally completes. And you know that he'll help you through any trial or anything. Right. But it, it's why you have to keep building your faith and going to the temple and reading your scripture so he can comfort you through all that and help you wait. Okay. Yeah. Well, in a linear fashion, if I'm waiting for something, I don't often feel like I can get to the next better thing. I gotta get this thing taken care of because the next thing will be better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're a kid, how hard is it to wait for Christmas? <laughs> when you're anxious to get married, how long, how hard is it to wait for the wedding date? 
How much of our life involves waiting for something that's coming? Doesn't it seem like we're always waiting? If you decide that you want to fly internationally and you want to land in Chicago, you will wait two into two and a half hours to get through customs and not be able to board your plane. <laughs> but doesn't our waiting happen because we have expectations one that we shouldn't have to wait? How much of our waiting problems come because of our expectations? I found that waiting also makes it hard to plan for a future if you've had like answers and you're trying to like organize your life so you have to wait and be patient and live life. Right. While you're waiting for what the Lord promised you. Right. Because we love the Lord, but he has this obnoxious habit <laughs> of not telling us what his timing is. Right. Going on with what Wendy was saying, um, sometimes in that waiting process from a re revelatory experience, you begin to doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. You begin to lose a little bit of faith. You begin to wonder, oh, I, I must have misread that revelation. I'm not worthy, blah, 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 blah and take ourselves on a horrible, horrible, satanic place where we shouldn't have gone. Because in, in that time that we're waiting, we start to second guess what we thought. So now maybe you're, maybe you're waiting for nothing. Because I'm not worthy. I, because I'm not worthy. So it isn't that I'm waiting because the Lord has something for me. He's holding off because of my own worthiness. Ah, uh, yes. And part of waiting is us be, being ready for what's to come. It's like expecting a baby. You, you can't wait till that pregnancy's over, but you don't want the baby to come when the baby's not ready and fully right. developed. I can't wait for that time when the baby comes and now I can be sleep deprived for the next three months. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I'm looking forward to that a lot. Yeah. I think the Lord frequently tests our patience, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, anyway, a lot of times waiting is a lack of progression because I'm just waiting and I'm not doing anything. And it doesn't feel like I'm moving ahead when I when I'm still sitting in this spot. Yeah. And I now yeah, and because we expect to kind of be rolling forward uh, all the time. Okay. Yeah. I admire people who have um, anticipated the wait. Yeah fill that time well. And so what are we doing with that expected waiting time? So isn't that really the question that we're asking? Do, do we know that we're going to have to wait? Does the Lord, do we know that the Lord is not going to give us answers about timing? So we know we're going to be waiting and the question is not whether we'll be waiting. The question is going to be how we wait. What we do while we're waiting. And that's harder. Yeah. It's easy to know when we're doing, it's when we're waiting. Yeah. I keep thinking of this quote uh, by President Benson that was in a church magazine years ago, but he talked about how there were millions pulling for us on the other side of the veil. 
And as we go through the veil, we're going to realize that nothing was left undone by our Father in Heaven to help us through this life. Think about our, think about our, uh, think about our family on the other side of the veil. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> when are you getting it done? What's wrong with you? We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Or do you think they wait better on the other side? I think without hormones, they probably wait better on the other side. <laughs> without hormones, they may wait better on the other side. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> All right, so let's talk today a little bit about waiting and how we wait. Um, so we're going to talk about the parable of the ten maidens, which has sometimes been called the parable of the ten virgins, uh, but it actually translates as maidens. Um, and I want to use uh, I want to use maidens. Uh, or, or women in this case because I think it, it might be easy to say well, you know, I'm not a young virgin so this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> okay, this is going to be this is about the terrible parable of the ten maidens. Now, a couple of things about this. It's in Matthew, I put 25. I think maybe 24. 25? Uh, I might be, um, trust me, I guess. Okay. The very first word, go, go to Matthew 25. Make sure I got this. Yeah, it's 25. What's the first word? The first, first word there? Then. What does that mean? You start going word by word. I know we're getting a little dicey here, but that then means what? Come on, English majors. Next. Yeah. Next, based on what? What came before? This is like if then. So it says, so actually this parable does not start in Matthew one one. Does it? In Matthew twenty five one. It says, then, you got to go, well, what's the then? What are we referring back to? to say, because he's, apparently he said something, and then he said, then, and here's the parable. So it's a little hard to understand exactly what Matthew 25 is about if you don't know what the then, then is. That, that prompted the then, so that he started with then. Does that make sense? Okay, I know it doesn't, but... The prelude is actually Matthew 24, 45. So we're actually going to go back. To verse 45. What's the question? Anybody got that? Say it, say it loud. Who is a faithful and wise servant? Ah! There's the question. Remember, every parable, this was kind of interesting. Generally, every parable from the Savior is prompted by a question. Somebody asks a question, he responds with a parable. 
I think it's fascinating that in this case, the Savior asks the question. So the question that prompts the parable of the ten virgins is what? Who is a faithful and wise servant? He whom the Lord sets over his household gives to other servants food at the right time. Blessed is the servant. Listen closely. Blessed, did I put that on here? I might have. Who is a faithful and wise servant? He whom the Lord sets over his household to give the other servants food at the right time. Blessed is the servant. Here's the waiting. Blessed is the servant who, when his Lord comes, finds him so doing. Maybe he's going to show up during a war dinner. <laughs> but what he's going to tell us is, blessed is the servant who, when his Lord comes, why? because he's waiting on his Lord, right? Blessed is the servant that is giving to the other servants food at the right time. Now, it's interesting in, in so much of what we've talked about, especially in, our, in all of our shepherdology kind of things and finding lost shepherds and all of that, we keep talking about that the Lord went after the lost. And whether it was lost sheep or lost coins or lost boys, what comes next? What comes, what's the next step? A celebration, including what? A feast, a banquet. Whenever you find the lost, you bring them home and you celebrate generally with a feast. So isn't it interesting that he's talking about that during this time he's going to find other servants, his, the, the, the Lord setting over his household, servants who are giving food, who are feasting. In other words, they are creating banquets. Why are they creating banquets? Why are they celebrating? Who's been found? The celebrants. The celebrants, right. The servants are doing the serving, and who and they are they're having a party and they're having a banquet. Why? Because they found lost sheep. What have they been doing while they're waiting? For the Lord to return. Finding lost sheep. That's right. They are doing what uh, the Lord would do if he were there. And that is, while we're waiting for the return of the master, we are out finding lost sheep. And how do we know we're celebrating? And how do we know? Because our servant, because his servants are serving the celebratory meals that go with finding lost sheep. That's what they're doing while they're waiting. Does that make sense? Okay. So... Yeah, and, the, and those are the faithful and wise who wait well. You wait well not by just sitting on the couch waiting. You're waiting well because you're doing and serving while you're waiting for him to come. Okay? So, truly I say to you that he will put him charge over his belongings. He that has been given a little will get a lot. Uh, if that wicked servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and begin to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunk and he goes to the wrong celebrations. 
Then the Lord of the servant will come in that day he does not expect, and in an hour he does not know, and cut him off, and establish his part with the hypocrites. So we, we are to be waiting. We're going to wait on the Lord. And he says, but while you're waiting, take care of the people. Take care of my people and serve them and celebrate with them until I return. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So, that's the setup now for Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten maidens, each of whom took her own lamp and came to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is that part where we have the little lamps. And it says, and, and you got to remember that there's two different kinds of lamps. There are the big lamps that, that the Savior in the Sermon on the Mount says, don't put a bushel over there because that lamp is to light the entire house. That's not one of these lamps. What, what are the jobs of these lamps? Personal. These are personal. And you're going to hold them like this. Okay? Now, if you've got your personal, what's the purpose of a personal lamp? To light your way. Well, it's going to light your way. That's one of the things that it will do. Helps us find the missing piece of silver. Yeah, yeah, although I suspect that may take a bigger lamp. But what, what purpose would it be, especially for a young maiden? See, we think Western. You have to think Middle Eastern. It's a small village and it's nighttime. And if she's going to go out in the dark, she's what? Yeah, it would it'd help her be found, but she probably knows her way in a little village. What would you say about a young girl running around in the dark? in a small village with no light. What are, what are you thinking? Go home. Go home. Why? Yes. Why? She's sneaking around in the dark. And that's, that's the problem. Again, in a village, everybody knows it isn't so much we're afraid she's going to be mugged or attacked or something like that. We pretty well know each other in the village. And when strangers are there, everybody knows but what is a girl doing running around in the streets of a village late at night with, with no, no identification? She's do, she, what she's up to is no good. Okay? So how does she identify herself and make sure that she is known that she's up to good stuff? She's going to hold her lamp right here that illuminates her face. Now she can be seen and everybody, oh, it's her. And, she, and she's busy going to legitimate places. She's not sneaking around. Everybody knows she can, her face is seen. Now, if she's going to then walk up and knock on some door in the middle of the night with no light, they have no idea who she is. But what happens if she's going to go knock on a door and her face is lit? 
Now she's safe and she, we know who she is. Okay? The, one of the main purposes of a small lamp for a girl late at night is identification. And we'll be able to see her face and know who she is. She will be seen even as she is seen. And she'll be known. Now, why has this become really important in this setting? Hop all the way to the end. We're going to go, I'm going to hop to the end of the parable and then we'll come back. Okay? The very last verse says what? Later the other maidens came saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he answered them, what? Truly I say unto you, I don't, I'm not sure I know you. Now, there's two things that have got to happen here. One, they finally went and got, the, they're going to get the oil. We're skipping to the end, I know. They're going to go get the oil. It's possible to get other oil in a small village. You're going to know other people. You can go get, you can go get more oil. Okay. Now they're going to show up after the door is closed. They're going to knock on the door and the, the bridegroom himself comes. And he opens the door. It looks like you, but you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not in here with us. That ability to be identified becomes really, really important. And it's why they needed the lamps. They didn't need the lamps to go light the bride hall or where the wedding was. They had bigger torches and they had bigger lamps for that. This is for personal ID and it shows, and it, shows it in our face. Does that make sense? Okay, that's, what, that's why these are crucial. Okay? Um, now, five of them, the, this, this, remember the question is, who are the wise servants? That's the question. Now, he's going to say, uh, five of them were unwise and five were wise. Um, the unwise took their lamps but did not do what? Okay, now, now, now stop for a second. At the beginning of this story, here comes the, here comes the, the wedding feast. And as you know, and I think we know this story pretty well, that ultimately what's going to happen is, is that the, the bridegroom starts early and he gets his buddies and they're going to go and they're gonna, it's like this slow rolling avalanche moving its way towards the wedding hall. Okay, he gets his buddies, they're having a good time, he picks up another friend, he picks up another friend, he picks up another friend, now they're all there, now what's, the what's one of the next places they're going to go to? Girls. Get the girl's house, yeah, go get the bride. Because even though she's not mentioned in here, she is everywhere here, the bride is. She is the great prize in this party. So after he gets his buddies, they're all going to ride up together to her house, and out she comes, and they place, they place the, the bride on an animal of some kind. And now the party really is, here she is, we've got her, she's veiled, she's veiled, 
And now we're going to make our way uh, in a roundabout sort of way to the to the wedding hall. Why? Let everybody know. We got to let everybody know. So we're going to go through this neighborhood, and then we're going to go through that neighborhood. So we're all celebrating together. And by the way, if you have an invitation to the party, you can now jump out. And now the parade is making its way, winding its around. Everybody can see there's the bride, and she's veiled, and she's leading out. And this is going to be a great moment. And and they're going to do all of this now. Let me ask. Where exactly are they going? Where is the wedding hall? Where, where is he taking her to? His home. Whose home? Where does he live? With his father. Yes, he lives with his father. Like we mentioned before, when, you, when we were in, uh, especially Jordan, uh, it's, it's, what you see is these big houses... And then uh, the houses are never completed because there's big pieces of rebar that come up from the tops of the houses. Why? Because when the oldest son is going to get married, where is he going to build his house? On the next floor. So he will be there. So he is bringing her to his father's house. Her house is... That house is waiting. In my father's house, by the way, if I've got other brothers, in my father's house are what? Many mansions. Yes. And so we're going to put it on top of that. And then when the next younger brother then gets married, where does he go? Right up on top. Okay. So, so they're, they're every, all of this is building towards having this great feast at his father's house. And so people are either congregated outside waiting or they're part of the, the big party that is rolling like an avalanche towards that with the bride in the middle of it and the celebration is about to begin. Okay? Now, in the middle of all of this, we have ten women. Are they supposed to be at the party? Sure. They've got invitations. Do they have their lamps? Yes. They can identify themselves so that uh, all ten are invited. All ten are prepared to go in. All ten are, are uh, part of this celebration. All ten are ready to go. Except what happens? There's what? Well, why are they running out of oil? They're waiting. They're, this is taking longer than we thought. We had prepared. We just didn't think it would take this long. So, what is the difference then? We're being told the difference between the wise and the foolish. They both, all, there are ten lamps. There are ten lamps filled with oil. What's the problem? The five didn't have additional oil. The difference between the wise and the foolish is the additional bottle of oil. That's, that's the difference. Okay? So, 
Um, they did not, so they would carry uh, in little uh, pottery uh, jars, kind of hanging off of their belt, there would be a second thing of oil ready to go. They brought oil, but they just didn't have the secondary oil. Okay? All right, now, let me just, let me just ask kind of generally, because there are a lot of little parallels here. What's the Savior telling us? Where, what's the difference in, the modern, in our modern setting between being wise and being foolish? We all have oil. We all have lamps. We're all recognized. How, but how do we endure to the end? We're all enduring. We're, they waited till he came. <laughs> They hung in there. They waited. Yeah. If, if we listen to President Nelson, I think he's constantly telling us, like to listen to the Spirit, learn to listen to the Spirit. Sure. That keeps you from hearing the Spirit. So sure. Okay. Now, how do you put that in your additional vessel of oil? Yeah. I think he's the living water and oil and our connection with him to keep the flow of oil going we must have that constant flow of connection never ending okay yeah we've got to have that that connection but it would seem like all 10 of them sort of had that right what's the difference in the additional oil i've got a note here that says the extra oil is worthiness ah how would worthiness enter into it do you think When you have to reach down a little bit deeper beyond just kind of the general. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the, uh, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son immediately sells off his stuff. He takes what he can get for it. He takes his money. He breaks relationships with his family, with the village, with all of his tribe, and he heads off, and he spends it, and life is great for him until what moment? The economy turns down. Yeah, the economy turns down. What, what, what does it say? A drought. He was okay till there was a drought. And then what did he not have? Deeper resources to reach into. Okay, now, uh, we, all of us are members of the church. Joseph Smith said at one point that this parable was about members of the church, meaning active members of the church. Okay, when is the moment we have to reach into a deeper, secondary thing of oil in our life? When we have when we have what? When we have to wait. When life doesn't. When we have to wait longer than what we're prepared to. I remember uh, years ago when we didn't have as many temples and living in Kentucky, we would have to go to Washington, D.C. to the temple. And uh, I remember we were told to have a temple recommend. We just needed a temple recommend in our possession, be worthy of a temple recommend, even if we can't get to the temple. Uh, often, but now that's no sure. We're told not only to have a temple recommend, but we need to be in the temple. We need to be filling we, our knowledge. Okay, so uh, yeah, so we're, we're filling our we're filling our lamps. I look at it very 
very similar to a nursing mother, a nursing animal. That doesn't dry up as long as it's used regularly. When we have to keep drawing on it, we have to keep, we have to have the ability to replant, because these are lamps, right? And it doesn't matter how good the lamp is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out and tell you it has to be replenished. You may say, you know what? Uh, I got baptized. I got my lamp. I'm good. But now I'm going to have to have this replenished. Yeah. going through a, the reality of the event happening at the door, if your face is darkened and you're not recognized versus having a lit face. And when you said that, I kind of thought countenance. Yes, it is. That maybe the Lord is saying, I don't know. Because I've always thought that was interesting. I it was always an odd phrase, wasn't it? But if your countenance kind of shows what kind of a person you've made yourself into be. It shows your worthiness. That analogy of the Lord recognizing us by our countenance is interesting. Yeah, Calvin? I think we're, we're in a time right now where uh, a lot of people are having to dig deep with the changes in the church. Right, right. The publication of the saints has caused a lot of people to fall away from the church because they can't handle the fact that the saints were perfect. They had problems, they made mistakes, they were people. And a lot of people can't, they can't, uh, yeah, they can't handle that. We were talking about this in Relief Society yesterday, and, and there were several people who said they had family members or friends who had fallen away from the church after reading that because they, they just couldn't, I, I don't know. They, because they had had one set of expectations uh, here. And then they found out the set of information, and they, they didn't have enough depth to. That's right. See, that's my concern. How often are we dealing with people that are even have been active for years and our testimony is about four inches deep until something comes along? A trial, additional information, a struggle. Uh, how, how deep is your testimony if uh, the bishop says something mean to you? Or what sounds like something mean to you? Or somebody insults one of your kids? Or how deep is your testimony? How much reserve oil do you have to reach into when suddenly your count, your light goes out? And you say, do I have enough to reach in and replenish? There's a story, I'm sure you've all heard it. It's about a family. It wasn't in the United States. They went to church somewhere. And they, there was an illness in the family. And there was some belief in the branch of Lord that they were contagious, that they, were, they shouldn't be there. They were kicked out right there. They were sent to go home. And humiliation, they had to get up in front of everybody and go home. And the, apparently one of the sons is telling a story that his, they, the father set everyone down and he said, don't speak to me right now. And he, whatever, he was praying, thinking, whatever. And they're thinking, is he going to go burn? We're going to burn the branch president's house down? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And the father from what he said, you could tell was deep, digging deep in his oil. Right, right. It says, it's our church, we will go back, and they never left the church. Now that would have been a very dramatic, I mean, most of us, things may happen, but I cannot imagine what that must have been like. Sure. To be physically asked to go home. Well, and see, I think each one of us has those things, our areas in our life, and whether it's 
whether it's our kids or whether it's history or, or something that is a particular tough spot for us that would cause us to have to reach. And I think that's different for each one of us, right? I got a very unusual Mother's Day card from my youngest son. He had just done a priesthood interview with a brethren whose wife has left the church. And my son thanked me for staying strong and, and giving him the, the foundation because, you know, that must be terribly difficult on a family oh, yeah. to have the mother, uh, you know, deny the, the church and leave the church. And so, I mean, staying strong and, and not looking for, there, there are things that we question in the church. Uh, my husband's brother has left the church with his family, but but um, and and again, I think everybody has their spot. And the question is, when those moments come, whether it's illness, or whether it's something other personal in our life, or it's doctrinal, or it's historical, and th there's that moment when we say, "Do how much oil do I have in reserve?" It's not what I have at the moment. It's what do I have in reserve? I think the parable is telling us that it's going to be a lot longer and a lot harder than we ever thought. Oh, yeah. And that if we're not prepared, we won't be able to make it through. It's already been longer. Right, yes. I, I remember growing up that the, church, that the Savior was coming back in 2000. Right. <laughs> you know, the opening of the seals, and we know that's going to happen. So. Yeah. Do, do we need to worry about retirement? Oh, heck no. It's just, <laughs> the world ends by 2000. What's the story here? Otherwise, I'm going to be like 45, and that'll be incredibly old. That, that, that not only, well, that's a good point because not only are we going to have to constantly replenish our upfront oil, the one that people see every day that lights our face, but, we, but we're going to continue to replenish out of our reserve, which also needs to be replenished. Okay? That, that's why it is, uh, it's funny, one of our guides uh, said uh, he was uh, Greek Orthodox. And we said, well, how often do you go to church? And he says, I go three times a year. <laughs> uh, if I go more, it costs too much. Because <laughs> generally, he says, I'm going to church in, in these little Greek Orthodox churches, uh, which are really kind of cool. They have the little neighborhood churches. They're smaller. They have their own little icon. And if you're going to church, it's probably because you have a wedding. You know, and it may cost you thousands and thousands if you're going to be going to church. Uh, or you have to give something, so he tries to go as little as possible. But there's no question I'm Greek Orthodox, uh, or I'm Catholic, uh, and, and they just do this, okay? Well, there is that sense, so I don't need to be replenished very often. Well, we're looking at this world and the strains that come to us, and it's like, no, we need to be replenished a lot. And the Lord is saying the difference between those without the, the extra tank are the foolish, because we're putting ourselves out there in a place. Uh, 
We would not, like, like, these days, would you go on a long trip with your iPhone and no charger? <laughs> Have I made my point? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we'll make sure that we have our charger because we've got to replenish the phone. What happens if it runs out? Well, then I'm completely and totally lost. Yeah? You may go on a trip without the charger, but you get one as soon as you can. <laughs> if you don't have to do that, then the foolish then have to run around to different stores and, and, and buy another charger. Please, do you have a charger I can borrow? Um, even for, even for your laptop on a ship, when you go, wait a minute, my charger's missing. Does anybody have a charger I could borrow? And that's why you bring the extra portable charger to charge your phone. That's, you have that extra vessel, right? See, I really believe that if the Lord were talking today, it would be the difference between the wise and the foolish would be those that had their phones and an extra charger versus those that don't. And we would go, oh, we get it, totally. That resonates with us. We don't worry so much about lights and lamps, but don't mess with our smartphones. We go, oh, yes, wow, that, that's a big deal. <laughs> Ding, okay. Okay, now, while the bridegroom delayed, though, they dozed and fell asleep. All of them. They all fall asleep. There is a period of time when you're just like, it's taking so long, you're going to doze. So it's long enough that, there's gonna, that his delaying is coming. It's long enough that they sleep. Do you think there's some symbolism in there? I, again, my, I remember, and I've told this story before, that uh, my uh, pioneer grandfather was uh, quarrying in the... Uh, in the quarry at Nauvoo, everybody had left. There's just a couple of them. Uh, Brigham Young comes up to the quarry and he says, how you doing boys? We're doing good. He says, you keep quarrying. We're gonna build this temple. We're gonna go out west. And then one day soon, we will come back to the center stake of Zion, meaning Missouri. And so, my pioneer grandfather goes out to Utah, serves a mission in Arizona, settles Rexburg, and all the way through he keeps saying, I have a promise from Brigham Young, we're going to go back and settle the central stake in Missouri. And he died in 1901, and shortly before he died, in his journal he said, I guess we're not. <laughs> And, uh, and somebody else will be going. But he lived his entire life waiting to go back. And then he slept. The bridegroom delayed and they dozed and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, so it comes in the darkness and unexpectedness. Out of darkness, the Savior is going to come. And I think that's an important, if you're thinking about that symbolically, that in, a light of, in the night of darkness, now suddenly he comes. So now the cry comes. A cry went out. The bridegroom is here. Go out and meet him. Okay, now. If I've got my lamp and I've got to be identified that I'm really here and it's really me and I've been sleeping... There are two things I need to do to my lamp 
before the bridegroom comes. What are they? First of all, I have to trim it. It's gone out. That means that the wick has gotten all kind has gone the the thing's gone out. What do I need to do with my wick? Got to trim it. It's gotten all black and crusty and everything. I've got to break off things like what? If your wick, if your flame has gone out because you were dozing, what has to be broken off? Yes. Ashes. Your old self. Your old self. Old bad habits. There are things that need to be eliminated and and removed so that it will burn. So the question I guess I'd be asking is, uh, and it's one of those rhetorical questions, what is going on in your life that may prevent a flame from burning bright? What little habits or things that we do or things that have come along that prevent the, the, the wick from burning brightly? Because those have to be broken off and they've got to be removed. You've got to trim it back a little bit. Okay? So, first thing you've got to do is break off that. So then you're going to put it back in. And then what happens? Now's the moment, right? Now's the moment where, oh, I need to replenish. Now, the, the, the foolish, could they, could they break off their wicks and clean it off? Yeah, absolutely. Okay? All the maidens awoke and prepared their lamps, and the unwise went, oh, wait a minute. That's the moment it hits them. What don't they have? They don't have spare oil. And they didn't know, this is really important, they didn't know they didn't have enough oil until the moment he shows up. They went to the wedding, they brought their lamps, their laps were burning. That was the moment they found out they did not have enough oil. Now, my question would be to us, how many people of us, how many people in our families, how many people in our ward are sitting there believing that they have enough oil to get them through? How many would be totally surprised to find out they don't have enough oil? I think a huge percentage, actually. Because if you ask how many people have their year's supply of food... Yeah. Oh, I'll just get it later. This is, the way, this is where Neil Maxwell calls the, the, the horrible arithmetic <laughs> of, of the parable. That... The, the arithmetic is that a large group of active Latter-day Saints believe they have enough oil and they don't. And we're talking about the spiritual stamina to withhold what may need to be, as you break it off and prepare to meet him, they aren't, aren't prepared to meet, and they don't know it yet. That would come as a total surprise. I was listening to President Wilson's I was listening to that again on, on the house. I was going over to my daughter's house for Mother's Day. And he just keeps saying it to us. He's warning us. This is what you've got to do to fill our lamp stack, have that extra lamp ready. Yeah. 
But again, most people say, I'm full. I've got it. I'm done. I'm active. You know, I teach primary. I should get, you know, Red Cross or something for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. I like that. I've covered the bases, yeah, and don't realize, may not even realize the source where I need to be able to get him my oil from. I've got it covered. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. See, that's why, that's why I go back to the prodigal son. And I think everything is going well, especially for people that have, when things are going great, there isn't a sense that we need to, we may have to reach down deep inside us because it's going so well. And then what happens when we lose a job or, or we, we, have, we lose a spouse or something like that? And we go, how deep, how, how far in can I really reach? Five of them didn't. Five of them didn't. There was no crisis at that moment. Uh, th- th- there, was no, there was no crisis for us at the temple in Rome until we suddenly found out that our bus drivers were all going to be leaving and I'm stuck with 25 people at a Rome temple. It's until we think we're fine and, and, and we roll on. Yeah? That it's just like everything else in life. If you don't review a language that you've learned, you lose it. And we we have to keep working on our spirituality. And, yeah. And Otherwise, the light starts to go out, and we don't have anything to replace it with. Yeah. That's why we're asked to reread our scriptures all the time. Keep reading every day to kind of replenish. I think so. Yeah. And the earlier in the scriptures where it says. That the master when he comes he finds the servants being the wise and faithful are feeding they're serving they're doing the work and uh, I think it's interesting that these are ten versions not that they're ten men or anything like that hold on to that story <laughs> but in the end the oil I think is a lot like priesthood power not priesthood but priesthood power and I think as long as we're true and faithful as long as we're serving that power is being strengthened and who is God going to recognize when he comes back? It's those who have gone to the temple, who've participated I see you, I recognize you yeah. Yeah. Those will be those who have entered into the new and everlasting covenant and are they're they're serving They're recognized, yeah Years ago I remember a talk, in fact I have a copy of it by H. Burke Peterson when he was presiding bishopric and it was selflessness versus selfishness, and it was quite a good talk. And in that, he points out most selfish people don't realize they're selfish. Yes. And it's 
And, you know, I think that goes most narcissists don't think they're narcissists. Well, most, it's most just reality. You know, there might have been five different problems these people were faced with, not one single problem. And I think it ties back to what he was saying, personal revelation. We need to find out where our weaknesses are and overcome them. Ah, okay. Yeah, President? I think this is why the church has put a big emphasis on self-reliance. Yes, yes, yes. You don't have to use it to its full extent. You can help others when you're self-reliant. You can help raise them. So being prepared doesn't mean you'll be called on to use it for yourself. But it means you're ready. But you're ready and you can help others. Okay, so here's so here's this we got the un unwise, right? They're saying give us some of our all because our lamps have burnt out. There's that moment we can't be recognized. We're right there. Okay? And the wise answer said, no, there may not be enough for you and us, but go to the sellers and buy for yourself. And even late at night, they're in a small village. They know people. They can knock on their door and get oil. Maybe, except where's the problem? It's going to be hard to recognize them in the dark. It's going to take more of a struggle to kind of get replenished. Okay? Now, that's why the end of this is just fascinating. When they went away to buy oil, the cry came out, the bridegroom and those that were ready went with him to the marriage feast and the door was closed. Okay? So, there was no crisis for those that had a little extra. Later, now, though, he says, the other maidens came saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. We now we're, we're now finally ready. We got it. We're ready to go. Okay? But he answered to them and said, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And many at that day shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not done great things in thy name? And he will say, I don't know you. Now, oftentimes this phrase can be, depending on how it's read in Greek, it can be reversed. And it can say, you never knew me. And that happens. Okay? Now, what I find fascinating about this, are, the, are they kept out or do they get to come in? What does it say? They need to be watchful, which to me gives them hope. Yeah, so again, were they let in or were they not let in? The Savior doesn't say and just like he does in Luke 15 with all the other parables and they were invited to the banquets of all that, he never says whether they went in or not. And, I think, and he leaves this one open. They might have. But you don't know what kind of extra pleading or work they were going to have to do to get in. Or they might have been shut out. That question is left wide open. Well, I was just going to say that the rich young man, remember? Yes. He goes off weeping because... He has great... He had great wealth, and, he, and then he stops it. Now, I believe, and I've said before, that I believe he sells his stuff and he comes and follows the Savior. The rich young ruler does. But it doesn't say. 
So often with these, the Savior leaves the parable wide open at the end. And you get to fill in your own interpretation and put you in it. Okay? Yeah. And there's a possibility that they are an overflow, so they may not get the full thing that they're doing. Even if they do get in, you think they get stuck at the back of the plane? Yes. Yeah. That could be. That boy, that's a possibility. Okay, I like that. Now, uh, in the time that we have remaining, I want to add two little postscripts to this. Uh, because it's always important, I think, when you're reading the scriptures, see where we have this tendency to look at a verse or to look at a chapter and compartmentalize it and put it inside that box and that's, and that's the story right there. This is one of those that if you look at it, this whole narrative started in 24, it goes here, and then it keeps going. Now, he's going to now tell another parable right after this. And I'm, I don't intend to go into the to the full meaning of the, the next parable, but I need you to see that they are related. Because we were talking about guys just a second ago, but look at what comes next. In Matthew, let's see. Am I going there yet? Yep. Yeah, let's go back. It's 25-14, you're right. Okay, 25.14 is going to... What's the next one that comes? It's, yes, it's going to be about the talents. But look at how this starts. And it is just like a man who went abroad to summon, to summon his own servants and he gave to them his wealth. So what he's going to do is he's going to leave, it with, leave money with servants... And then he, then he goes away. So what are they having to do? Wait. So what you're going to watch is what's happening to these servants. The one that has, uh, uh, was it, uh, five talents, uh, two talents and one talent. What did they do while they were waiting for him to come back? So again, to the, the disciples especially, this is Matthew 25, this all starts with, that he's trying to prepare them for his death. And he's saying to them as clearly as he knows how, I'm going away. I'm, I'm leaving. And the question is what? What will you do while I'm gone? And ultimately he'll have to come back and say what to Peter? Peter! Lovest thou me more than these? Yeah, well, feed my sheep till I come back. What you're getting in the parable of the ten virgins and then we get then the parable of the talents is two stories about a master that goes away. And the question is, what do we do while he's gone? Especially the, the one in here where he says, yeah, you're kind of, um, I, didn't, I didn't think you were that great a guy. You're kind of harsh, you know, and you, didn't, you were going to reap where you didn't sow and so I was afraid and I took my talent while you were gone and hid it. I'm just going to go sit on the couch. Okay. 
That is, that is another, but that to me, that, that's an, those two parables. And then he does what Luke often does. So the one is going to be about women and the next one is going to be about men. There's always one about male and one about female in the Lucian uh, doublets. This is one of those where he's going female than male, so he's not missing anybody. Okay. All right. So, one more I, I want to tie on here, and it's actually one that I found, um, and leave it to Luke. Luke is going to take this story and he's going to change it. He's going he's to shrink it, and he's going to change it, and, I'm, and I haven't decided if this is actually the, the thing that comes next after, I, I think it almost sort of does. I'm, I'm leaning that way of saying, this comes right after the parable of the ten virgins in history. Look what Luke does to it. I about decided Luke may be my favorite gospel. Okay, if you got if you got your scriptures handy, I want you to go to Luke 12. So I don't think I put Luke 12 in here. Nope, I didn't. Okay. Luke Luke 12:35. He's talking to his disciples and then he says this. And think about this in conjunction with the parable of the 10 virgins. Be dressed and ready and have your lamps burning. Be like the ones who are prepared for their master to return from where? The wedding feast. He's gone to a wedding feast. We don't know if it's his own wedding feast or if he's gone to somebody else's wedding feast. There's been a celebration. So he's saying to his servants, have your lamps burning because the master is returning from the wedding feast. Then watch how Luke changes it. And when he comes and knocks, they open to him immediately. So as he's coming back from the wedding feast, he's knocking on the doors of his servants and inviting them. Seems to be a different reference. 1235. Yeah, well, yeah, because I'm, I'm reading from the Tom Wayman thing. And so I love you having you being able to follow in the King James Version because you get a chance to see kind of... Uh, the difference in the language. Okay? So yeah, it's not going to translate exactly. By the way, somebody needs to tell Tom Wayman that I taught at Mars Hill with his book. He would probably be happy about that. Uh, and at Corinth. Um, Alright. Be like the ones who prepared for their master to return from the wedding feast and when he comes... They, they open to him immediately. Then, then this phrase, Blessed are those servants who, when the master comes, he finds them attentive. They're ready for him. Their lamps are ready. But they're opening up to him. Instead of them coming to the wedding feast, the master's returning from the wedding feast and coming out to them and knocking on the door. I stand at the door and knock. But listen to the celebration that then comes. Truly I say unto you, he will buckle his belt. 
How, did, how, how would the King James Version say that? How did it probably say that? Gird up your loins. That's right. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do these things, what does that mean? Well, you're wearing the robe. That means you're gonna reach out and grab kind of the back side of the robe. You pull it up here and you cram it down in your belt and then you tighten it. Okay? Which exposes your pasty white legs. <laughs> okay? But now you're ready for work. Or like it was with the, product, the father of the prodigal son so that he could race. He could run through the village to go rescue his son. Okay? But you buckle your, you tighten your belt so that it'll hold your robe so that you now expose your legs. It's not very dignified, but it's how you work. Okay? Truly I say unto you, he will buckle his belt and he will do them what? Make them to recline, to eat, and he will come and serve them. I love how Luke has changed this. In Matthew, everybody's showing up to the wedding feast, and they're going to be there, and you assume that they're going to be servants serving everybody at the wedding feast, and the master will sit at the head of the table, or the bridegroom will sit at the head of the table, and they will be served. How, how is Luke changing this? Who's doing the serving? The master is. He will make them to recline, and he will come and serve them. And then this. And if he comes in the second or third watch, that's midnight or three o'clock, and finds them so, blessed are those servants. Now, if I hop down uh, to verse 41, Peter said, Lord, did you speak this parable to us or to everyone? <laughs> Is this just for us or does everybody get kind of the same deal here? And the Lord said, who is a faithful and wise master whom the Lord will set over his household to give an allowance of food at the right time? Blessed is the servant whom his master shall find so doing when he comes. Come doing what? Serving. Serving. In other words, what he's saying is, is that if he comes in the middle of the night to serve you and he finds you serving, he will then be serving you as well. And I think it's a beautiful addendum to all of this that just says, what do we do while we're waiting? We minister we serve. Um, in other words, we don't just wait, but we serve. And, and that's the moment when he can see in our countenance from our lamp that, that's lighting us up to be able to say to us, you know, I recognize you. I know you. I see you. And I will serve you. That is just amazing to me, the, the things that are there. So, okay. Final comments on that? That's, that, that, that's a lot, but I think it's just incredibly power-packed. Um, 
I will say, though, that I think sometimes one of the things that I think we will find as we continue to kind of walk through these classes is that we have our set way that we have always looked at these parables. Uh, but as we really dig in deep, we're going to find that there is so much more behind it. And these are richer, fuller, deeper things. And sometimes kind of the quick little answers that we have given them over time. So, other comments? Great. Uh, bear, my, bear my testimony that the Lord intended us to wait. <laughs> he intended us to wait, but he intended us to wait well. He intended us to wait in a way that continues to fill our lamps. He continues to serve us. That That's where some of that uh, light will come to us if we will let him in and let him be part of our lives. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the substance of the lessons that Thou teaches us. We're grateful for Brother Hinckley and his insight, and uh, it allows us to uh, to see things in a more deep manner that Thou would have us ponder and concern ourselves with. We're grateful for the gospel in our lives. Thankful for Thee and the love that Thou hast for us. We are uh, grateful that we uh, have each other to rely upon and to uh, help others. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, next week, the, uh, the woman at the well. And there was another one I wanted to get to. <laughs> yeah, I know, about 45 minutes. For sure the woman at the Samaritan woman. Oh, the Canaanite, the Canaanite woman. Uh, we're going to talk about two Gentiles, the Lord serving Gentiles. Next week. All right, and then bring your, bring your fun goodies. We'll be back at the Steak Center uh, next week, and we will have our oral final. <laughs> Can I show you my daughter draw this? <laughs> that's, that's, that's really well done. <laughs> Here it is. Oh, oh, oh.